Hello, my name is Dylan, and this is the Heroes of Reality podcast, a place where I interview heroes of reality, of life, science, technology, and more, and I share their stories, lessons, journeys, inspiring you to be the hero of your reality. And in this podcast, I interview my friend, John Chi. I would describe him as a mad scientist who isn't so mad. He's actually quite filled with joy. He's got a BS in electrical engineering from Stanford. He's also graduated from Y Combinator with this company called Sonova Life Sciences. Now they have a technology that they're bringing to market that is fueling the growth of personal regenerative medicine. The device that they've built can extract a patient's own stem cells from their fat, adipose tissue, using a novel, non-enzymatic process to provide patients and doctors and researchers the fast, safe, sterile, high-yield access to stem cells. Basically, they have a device that can pull out your own adipose fat, turn those into stem cells, and then re-inject your things into your body for whatever you do stem cells with. It was an amazing, exciting conversation. First starting off deep into the technology space, how we got into it, where you can go find tech, um, get started in this field, you know what you can do with this type of stuff. And then we go into the area of what makes him so filled with joy. What allows him on a daily basis to be able to kind of reset and reconfigure in what he describes as mini meditations. It was a wonderful conversation and I'm super excited to present my friend, John Chi. Hey, John, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Dylan, it's so great to see you again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, it's been a while. It's been a while. Um, yeah. So let me ask you what you've been up to lately. Oh, man, <laughs> there's been so much going on. All right. <laughs> uh, I, I, every time uh, I hear that question, I'm always like, oh, man, where do I start? So uh, I think um, the biggest thing that we did probably uh, was we moved our lab. So that was uh, um, just uh, maybe about a month ago. And we moved to a new location. Got, it's, a, it's a life sciences incubator, and it's got a bunch of companies in there, about 30 companies, awesome people around. Um, and uh, just it's, it's a really great location. We got access to a lot of, uh, a lot of different equipment and more equipment. So it's, um, a, it's a lab incubator program? So kind of like... Um uh, how would you like what kind of companies are in there with you and where are you guys located at? So it's in Pasadena. It's inside of the Pasadena Bioscience Collab- Collaborative. And uh, there's, uh, let's see, there's a gene sequencing company. There's a, there's a guy making, uh, uh, what do you call it, um, tattoo inks that you can break down. So they're permanent, but then they're easy to break down. So you can get a permanent tattoo, but then uh, if you want to get rid of it, then it's uh, there's certain frequencies of ultrasound, and boom, you can wipe it away. Oh, that's great! Yeah, so you can so you can yeah. keep it permanent, but then if you want to rinse and repeat, you you go through some sort of process, and then you can kind of like remove the tattoo and put a new one on. Exactly. Oh, that's super cool! How'd you end up being yeah. part of that uh, that lab system over there? So it was actually the first place that we went to uh, about six years ago when when I first started looking for lab space. Um, they were one of the first co- companies that I contacted. And uh, so I was like, all right. And, and we were all set to move in there. And then they said. I said, yeah. And they said, oh, we can't handle human tissue. So then uh, I had to go look around. Did I cut out again? Yeah. Okay. Let's try it. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to just chop out that section where you froze and I'm going to turn off the camera. Okay. And then uh, All right. I'm going to start the question again. So I'm going to turn off the camera feed. Um, and then what are we going to do is uh, we'll do that question one more time. And I'll just yep. say, uh, so how'd you get in there? And then just kind of go with how'd you go in there? And I'll just cut this section out and we'll just keep it rolling. Okay. All right. Okay. Sounds good. Three, two, one. Hey, John. So how did you get in that, that lab system? So originally it was actually the first place that, that I looked when, when we were looking for lab space and, uh, uh, they, they had the facilities and I went to talk with them and 
we were all set to move in. And then they, at the last minute, they said, oh, wait, you're bringing human tissue in? And I said, yeah, we're going to be doing stuff with human tissue. And they said, oh, we're not equipped to handle that. Um, this was about six years ago. And uh, so we had to find someplace else. And then uh, then we had to move out of the place that we were at. And, and they were at the top of the list and they had space and they had made all these changes so that they could handle human tissue. And this is over the last six years. And they had actually done it specifically for us. And, uh, and we'd been in touch the, the whole time. And, uh, and, and so, so they had done all of this stuff to get us in. And finally, six years later, we're back. <laughs> wow. That's great. So, yeah. um, is stem cells considered human tissue? Is that what, is that what that is? Could you kind of explain kind of what your company does and, and how you use tim, uh, stem cells and, and human tissue for that purpose? Sure. Yeah. So we are Sonova Life Sciences. And what we do right now is we make a device that breaks up your fat so that you can get your own stem cells out of that fat. And uh, and, and so right now, the, the current gold standard is using enzymes and that takes a few hours to do in the doctor's office. And so what what, um, what we do at Sonova with our device, it's totally mechanical, doesn't use any chemicals, and we can do the process in about two minutes uh, to be able to extract the stem cells. Wow. So no chemicals, no enzymes needed. You can take your mechanical device and then pull out fat, uh, run it through this mechanical process, and then outputs your own stem cells. Yeah, yeah. It uses a disposable cartridge, so everything stays sterile. You use it once, and you throw it away, and one and done. Wow. What are some you know uh, use cases with these stem cells that you have? So if somebody went to the doctors and they, they were able to pull out these stem cells, I mean, what do you what do you currently use them for? And you know, what are some other use cases as well? So right now, most of what we're doing this for is in orthopedics or like joint pain, when people have problems with um, uh, degenerating cartilage, uh, one of the applications is that the stem cells can help in relieving that pain in a number of ways. Uh, one, by they, they're anti-inflammatory, so they secrete stuff to um, suppress the pain and inflammation. Um, and then another one is that they, they can engraft and become part of that tissue. And they also send signals to the tissue to um, start, to kickstart the repair process. And of the stem cells that do engraft, um, some of them will be in the place and they'll proliferate so they make more of themselves. And, and then some of those cells can differentiate into the actual tissue that makes chondrocytes, um, that makes the cartilage. And so there's, there's a huge, there's a number of mechanisms of action to make that repair happen. Um, another area that, that we've been in is in cosmetics, where the stem cells in the fat, um, they're already in the fat, and um, uh, but uh, in, a, in a fat transfer, if you uh, augment the number of stem cells in that fat transfer, um, it can make that fat graft actually permanent. So it causes the blood vessels to to grow into that fat graft. So if somebody, uh, yeah, with like wrinkles or something, um, the stem cells not only help repair the collagen matrix underneath, but then they they become part of the surrounding tissue. Oh, that's so interesting. See, I was thinking about for like uh, for like girls that want like big booty butts or something. Like they're able to like pull out the fat and then put it on the back of the say the butt fat, and then you attach it on there, and then it grasps it together, and now it literally becomes a part. Instead of just shoving in a bunch of fat into that system, it actually becomes it merges uh, part of the you know the the butt for lack of a better example, and it becomes a, a part of that system. Is that somewhat correct? Yeah, yeah. So that's we've we've had some docs ask us about that being able to transfer fat and make that happen because otherwise the the body will typically just tend to reabsorb that fat and and then get rid of it um, if if there's not something that causes a blood supply to grow, grow into there. Got it. So the fat isn't just something that sits on the outside layer, but it's actually it's the fat kind of integrates with the blood to be a part of the whole organ or system. 
Right. It, it integrates with the existing tissue matrix underneath. So um, basically, you've got a layer of fat all over your body, and and then it can integrate with that that fat that's existing. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. Those those are two of the the main applications. But um, just as far as the potential of what the stem cells can do, um, we've got some pilots with uh, stem cell banking companies. Mm-hmm. So. Um, you can store them and then uh, bring them back later once the once it, that stuff gets through FDA. Um, there's uh, we've got pilots with um, tissue engineering companies. So that these are some of the coolest applications of stem cells, which is you take the stem cells and then you can grow them into different types of organs. And sometimes you need what's called the scaffold, which is uh, something to hold the stem cells to so that they can form that tissue, but uh, we're, we've got a pilot with a liver company that's growing liver livers so that um, we can basically get rid of the need for organ donors so that this company is trying to grow livers so that someone who needs a liver transplant can basically get livers grown out of their own cells. Um, there's, uh, there's applications in stroke. Uh, some researchers at Stanford found that if you inject they they modified the stem cells slightly and then they put them into the brains of stroke victims and uh, so people that have been two years post-stroke have seen significant regeneration and recovered significant function in their brains after what what usually is, is how they're going to be like two years afterwards is pretty much how you're going to be but they've recovered significant function afterwards um, we've got a heart attack study that's going on that we're going to be doing with a major university and we're doing some eye studies with uh, with a couple of groups down in Colombia. Wow. A uh, couple of things there. One, um, I could totally see the alcohol company supporting the, the liver transplant program. <laughs> okay, there's, there's no negative repercussions. We actually endorse you to drink as much as possible just so that we can just switch out your liver later and then everybody's just, you know, <laughs> Right as ago. Um, the other one, actually, more so, is can you envision a future or tell me how far it would be out for people to have their own 3D uh, printing systems where they have a scaffolding, a scaffolding of, say, uh, the heart or other or their organs that they have that they could literally then pull out their own Oedipus fat, turn it into stem cells, put it inside a 3D printing machine, and then print up their own organs? Like, how far out into crazy future science land is that? Hmm. That's a great question. I think, um, you know, I could see it happening in the next 10 to 15 years. Um, yeah. It's, and, and so, because the thing is you don't need uh, a lot of cells. Um, you have a lot of stem cells in your fat. So, um, but you, you need to be able to make them multiply and differentiate. But the, the way that the technology is going, um, uh, you could do it in your in your own home, um, or you know you might go to a facility that that specializes in it. Just sure. just because of the sterility issues around uh, doing that kind of stuff. But but I think it could be pretty common in the next ten to fifteen years. I'd say. Yeah, no, absolutely. It does seem like there is a arching uh, trajectory of you know you know big industries. Yeah. You know, governments, huge medical institutions doing it in, you know, giant, you know, clean rooms and places like that. And it starts to go down and down and down until finally there's, you know, there's cabals or cohort, uh, cohorts of people that are all gathering around the technology and all, you know, sharing the, the technology, like whether it's um, uh, medical technologies or, you know, industrial equipment or mechanical. And then from there, it eventually becomes personalized at home use cases. And so, yeah, there's there seems to be a, a natural flow, and, and I completely understand, especially when you said injecting into your brain. I was like, mm-hmm. okay, um, that is serious time. I mean, spe- shooting something into your cartilage, into your into your knee to replace it is is you know there's the pros and cons to that. It seems like it's much higher on the pro side than the cons that you know you have a functional knee, you can walk around, you know. But if it gets messed up, I feel like there's a, a better chance likelihood to fix it um with your brain and getting it shot in your brain what is actually with stroke patients do you know actually what is 
what it is damaged to cause a stroke and how the stem cells are actually repairing the brain and could that be applied beyond that level to an area of you know super cognition the ability to not take someone who's necessarily damaged but actually enhance them with stem cells uh let's see so i guess it's possible um so you know the the whole idea of neuroplasticity um the brain is such a flexible and amazing organ and it's it's constantly changing so if somebody wanted to um Let's go back real quick to what's happening inside the brain with those stem cells. Uh, so the stem cells have been engineered to secrete certain things. And uh, when they get into the brain, um, they're not actually turning into neurons. Uh, so inside, when a stroke happens, then parts of the brain die. And, and what's damaged in there are, are you know, everything, all the, everything that's inside of that structure of the brain, like the neurons, the different brain cells, the glial cells, uh, um, and astrocytes. So, so the things that are inside the brain get damaged and, and they die. Um, and so what happens with those stem cells when they get in there, um, these are mesenchymal stem cells, the same kind that you find in, in fat. Um, and they, they get in there, they're not turning into neurons actually, but what they do is they're signaling the cells in the brain and what's happening is that those cells are reverting to a younger state or a more primitive state more like when the brain was in early development in childhood and so those cells revert at that state where they start to regenerate and multiply and form as if they were as if it were a very young brain and so then the the damaged tissue gets moved out and is replaced by by this new younger tissue that's that's proliferating um and so in terms of the supercognition piece um i i i suppose if you're um if you're wanting to um learn something quickly uh or you know how how young children are more um you know most most people say or the stereotype of a young child is that they're a sponge and it's because their their brains are in a more naive state and there's lots lots of stuff going in and it's holding on to it so if you're able to take areas of the brain and actually cause more cells to grow there and and then those cells are in a more naive state then i would say potentially then you could be you're re- really having rapid retention or even higher function um, just because the, the naive cells are in, in a in, um, um, more active state and maybe even transmitting information more quickly. Um, I can see something interesting where uh, we, we might have to actually uh, enlarge our skulls um, to hold more brain tissue if that's if that's actually happening, uh, <laughs> this is gonna. This will be an arms race for for people, you, you know, because like you know, one person will start to do it, and then you could. I could see that how that would could be a fad, where you know, you know, well, <laughs> you know, you know, my IQ or whatever is so much higher because I'm able to expand my brain by this much, and I, I had to make so much room. I had to like, you know, cut the top off it and put a jar on top of it so it can expand <laughs> the thing. Um, you know, wow. Yeah. So it's super think, interesting. So you think uh-huh. it's, it's a mass issue. So you think you, we would grow more mass, which would then would kind of give you the ability to be able to, to process more data quickly. I was curious around, like, like are you familiar with myelin? Um, yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, are, and, uh, could you explain to me a little bit about myelin, what myelin is? And could you actually use stem cells to generate a thicker coat of myelin to actually allow for the ease of learning and, 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 and such? Um, that's, Actually, so, okay, so first of all, yeah, everything surrounding your nerves, just a, a quick overview of myelin, is um, everything around your nerves, there's a myelin sheath around it, and that kind of acts like insulation that helps your nerves conduct um, conduct signals quickly. Uh, and so when you have things like multiple sclerosis, the myelin sheath is being attacked and it degenerates, so then the nerve starts to lose the ability to conduct signals well, and, and, uh, and so then the symptoms of the 
multiple sclerosis start to show up. Um, there is research that shows that stem cells can help um, modulate that immune activity to to tamp down that immune response and and then help the body regenerate that myelin. Um, uh, conceivably, you could program some stem cells to signal the, the generation of myelin. Um, but inside of the, going back to the supercognition piece, uh, uh, not it, you know, it's not necessarily just a mass issue. Like, uh, I think, you know, if you have all this activity going on where the brain is, uh, uh, where the brain is generating new cells rapidly, or not even just new cells, but the density of the wiring is also something that, you know, maybe if the brain is contained inside of that small area, then the density becomes much higher. And in that case, you have that many more connections. And, uh, and then, you know, some, some research suggests that, that making your brain work like these really hard, like solving really hard problems or those things, um, or learning new skills can increase the density of the connections inside of the brain. So if you're having this naive state where you're having a lot of new cells and they're, uh, and then they're, they're creating structures very rapidly, then maybe you end up not having a mass issue, but actually having to increase, uh, you have an increase of the density of the connections because the, the space is contained. Um, and yeah, uh, uh, and as far as generating the myelin, um, yeah, your your body's pretty smart about that. I, you know, I don't know that a thicker myelin sheath would result in faster uh, signaling. Um, you know, there's probably some threshold of it needs to be at least this thick, and then you can optimize the signal speed. But if it's thicker, maybe you're, maybe it doesn't make that much of a difference. Well, yeah, that's what I was thinking about in terms of density. So you have density, which means that the, the like, if you look at like uh, someone that works out, right? There's you know you know strong men that have you know that they have big, huge, bulky muscles, but they're not dense, right? And they're because they're, they're not trained up that way, so they have you know more power. But there's a lot of there's a lot of weight and volume that goes into that versus uh, gymnasts or other people that have like small, dense muscles that ha- muscles that have a lot of impact and a lot of power. But they don't go. They're not going for size and volume. They're going for they're going for density and impact and power. And it sounds like the, the way that those muscle structures are, are shaped. The same thing with the brain can be true. You could have a volume size thing, but also other ways, a different type of training the brain or, or focus would then make it more dense, which would have you know as much power or impact without the actual volume. Yeah, yeah. The, the brain development is such an interesting thing. I mean, um, in early development, the brain is a uh, making making millions and millions of new connections but then at the same time it's it's culling connections that aren't being used so it's generating millions of new connections and then and then getting rid of a bunch of things and then but and so there's just this this the 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 change of inside the brain is very rapid and um yeah and, and so i think you know that that area of supercognition um you know some people have like there's there's uh, magnetic location cells that that uh, you know birds have this and and I think there's some research that suggests that people have this but if it's not being used then it gets cold um, maybe later on in life but maybe you know that potentially could be something that could be brought back to to be able to know where you're oriented in terms of the the magnetic poles of the earth you know that's that's kind of cool <laughs> if it comes in handy then you know nature would then encourage that behavior um, right do you think there's a uh, i feel like there's a corollary to this of when you're younger it's it's all about exploring right and then once you mm-hmm. you know become a professional you you know level up to adulting then you exploit right you go deep into one field and so as you're, as you're a child and you're, and you're leveling up, it's all about exploring, 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 seeking, finding, discovering, moving through the past, like trying a bunch of different things. But then you, you find one area that, that works for you and then you kind of let go of those other things and then you exploit that one section that then you can then go deep on and then develop that out. It sounds like in the, the way that there is human potential of explore, exploit relationships of a child to adult, the same thing is literally happening in a parallel with the brain. 
yeah, it, it does sound, yeah, the brain is like, what are we going to use? What are we not going to use? And, and then develop what, what's being used. Yeah. What's the age when that happens? When you, cause you're saying at a young age, is that five to nine? Is that, is that five to 25 when your prefrontal cortex becomes developed? Like what, what is the age range of from the exploring to then, you know, changing gears? Uh, I think it depends. So, uh, uh I, I, I think it's not, always um something that's that's programmed i think it's different for different people um typically it's it's kind of growing into your teens and then as you start to specialize or as a person starts to specialize then maybe in their early 20s then it then that kind of uh rapid uh rapid development and culling starts to fall off um but but uh you know in I believe that there's environmental factors that are related to that too. Like if someone's always exploring, then, then their brain is always, um, you know, constantly taking in new information and developing all the time. Uh, so, so in that, in that type of, with that type of behavior and that type of environmental influence, then I think the, the brain remains much more plastic, much more malleable and uh, adaptable than someone who um, specializes and, and stops exploring, where then the brain starts to really specialize around uh, a certain thing and, and the development forms in, in those areas. So I, I, you know, I believe that, uh, that you can maintain that plastic state. And so when we're talking about living a really long time, uh, like let's say someone who's maybe living to be a thousand years old, uh, they, the part of that is, is going to be maintaining neuroplasticity in the brain. Wow. Do you believe that people will eventually be able to live to a thousand years old? I totally do. Yeah. And I, I think it's that the ability to do that or, the possibility of us being able to do that is, uh, is, is pretty close. <laughs> what leads you to this belief? Uh, looking at the, the things that are happening in areas like regenerative medicine, um, discovering things, ways to unlock uh, the rejuvenation of cells and also being able to replace cells that are no longer functioning well. Um, we have that. We have the things that are happening in uh, the breakdown of cellular mechanisms that result in things like cancers and, um, and then being able to uh, basically being able to train the body to clean out um, cells that are causing cancer. Um, so, and so that also along with the, the things that we're discovering in machine learning to be able to help problem solve. Um, when you have these three things coming together, um, one of the, one of the things that, 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 uh, causes people to die is the breakdown of the cellular repair mechanisms and that results in the cancers and things like that. But with the stem cells, um, part of that, part of that is a key to, to solving the, the problem of how do you repair or stop the breakdown in these cellular repair mechanisms and um, the, the uh, convergence of these three things is uh, I, I, I see that as something that's going to bring that solution and um, barring accidents and, and, uh, and other like acute diseases or infections, um, the other, the, the degeneration of aging, I think is something that we can solve. So it's, it's almost like a, you know, like there's a, there's like a meta, you know, learning how to learn. It's almost like the, the being able to repair the repair units, you know, so that the anti-aging, you know, you have a natural ability, your, your body has a natural ability to repair its own genes, repair its own, uh, systems and organs and over time that ability to repair itself slowly degrades and so the breakdown of the repair units is actually really being able to repair the repair units um, in the body is one of the main mechanisms you said of three like being able to uncover um, the mechanisms between cancer and what causes those types of breakdowns and you said the third one I don't remember what the third one was but those are the 
you said that the three things that are going to help yeah. to help propel this forward. What was the third one? The third one was in machine learning. Oh. Uh, the uh, yeah, the ability of of being able to to find those patterns where um, we haven't seen the patterns before, and machine learning is something that can that can help us discover those things that that we may not be able to see quickly and, uh, and, and to be able to find out what those mechanisms are. Do you have, uh, either with your company or with other companies that are in the area of stem cells, do you, are you aware of any use cases of people actually applying machine learning um, to um, uh, stem, ther- stem cells or stem cell therapy? Uh, right now, I don't think there's a lot that's happening with with the stem cells themselves. Um, I know one one area that that we're looking at is basically just uh, in image recognition of a stem cell out of uh, a out of a group of cells, like a you know big mass of of other types of cells. Um, but uh, but yeah, in terms of um, um, just applying machine learning to the mechanisms of what's happening in stem cells. I'm not aware of any companies that are really in that space. Yeah, it's super interesting, the, you know, having uh, artificial intelligence help us extend our own lives. Um, yeah, I can definitely see it going in that direction. And I see what you're saying there with, you know, being able to identify stem cells and look at it, you know, visually and stuff. That makes a lot of sense because what it is, it's just there's so much data, right? And, you know, Artificial intelligence yeah. is really good, or machine learning, uh, not necessarily true artificial intelligence. It's just the ability to digest large data sets and be able to kind of pull out some sort of meaningful insights to a degree. That's fascinating. Let me ask you this: yeah. How did you, how did you get started in all this? Like, where you know, what you know, where would you first go? What what had you leave to to go on this journey? And like, you know. How did you get started? Where did you come from? And you know what? What's the mission that drives you? Wow. So let's see. I, start. I could. I think the easiest place to start is is the mission, <laughs> and that's that's really um, to the the mission is uh, basically. Uh, I I really love being alive. I mean, there's so <laughs> much amazing stuff. <laughs> Yeah. And, and I don't want it to end. So, so it's like, you know, I want to live forever or, or at least live a really long time or, or have a choice of how long I want to live. Um, and to be, to continue to experience all this cool stuff. Um, and, and, uh, and then as a kind of, um, uh, also in line with that, I, I would also, you know, I want the people that I love to also have that benefit, and and I want the people to that I love to also be alive when I'm alive. Um, so, like my parents, uh, they were they they were starting to have some joint issues. So that was actually what kind of initially launched me into uh, really pursuing stem cells. Um, I I'd always had an interest in it, um, but I actually. Uh, started off as an electrical engineer, mm-hmm. and uh, and went into software development. And then uh, I was uh, uh, I had I had another startup before that in three um, D animation and and post production. And uh, so so these are I mean these are all things that I love. And uh, and that when we wound down the post production company, I ended up at the working at a university where they were starting this uh, experimental biotechnology program. And uh, the, the director of the program asked me, to, he said, hey, can you make a website for this? And I said, oh, sure. And I'm reading the content like, oh, I love all of this stuff. And so I applied for the program, got in, and that's where I got to work with stem cells. And from that, it was like when I was working with them and seeing what they could do and actually having my, you know, literally having my hands on them, um, it's like, wow, this is just, this is amazing. This is, this is where I want to be. And that's, that's how, that's really how, uh, I got started into it. And it's like, this is so cool. How do we make it so that 
everybody can have access to this. That's incredible. So you went from just building a website and reading the content on the page that you were building to saying, this is so compelling, I actually want to switch gears and dive deeply into this industry. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then it first then started from that to, I'm in stem cells because this is incredibly fascinating, to um, you know, helping you know, people you care about with a higher quality of life, like with arthritis. And then from there, did it then morph into, I actually love being alive and this is amazing. And now I want to like try to live as long as possible and help the people I care about live as long. Is, is that how that thing shifted over time? Um, I think, I think the, I love being alive was always kind of around. And then, uh, working with the stem cells and seeing what they could do and then kind of seeing kind of seeing where things were heading. It was like, wow, you know, I doing this or, uh, or being in this, in being in this area is really where I can be to, to actually be part of, Hey, I love being alive. And, and then the realization of, wow, I could really be alive for a really long time um, because of what's happening here. And so it just, it was, it was just, a, a, a to me, I guess kind of a natural combination just seemed like they just go hand in hand. Like, no, yeah, a hundred percent makes sense. And almost reminds me, there's like a quote that says, um, if you hang out in a barbershop long enough, you're going to get a haircut. And I feel like with stem cells, it might hold true. It's like, hey, I just want to be around this environment. All this stuff is amazing. And, and if I hang out here long enough, then the chances of my life extending, you know, greatly go forward because that's what everyone's focused on. If you were to like, how does somebody get involved in your industry? Is some, you know, if there's a, you know, uh, some young adventurer who's exploring around and find things fascinating and they came across a website and they were reading about the topics and they're like, wow, stem cells are cool. Like, how do they get up and started? You know, how do they, how do they, you know, start to level up in that? I think, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, find, reach out to the people that, that they think are doing cool stuff and say, Hey, you guys are doing really amazing things. Um, I'm super interested in what you're doing. Um, uh, is there, how can I work with you? Or, uh, is there, what what should I do next? But just just reach out directly to the people who are doing the things that that whoever it is um, th- that I just call them you that you find are the coolest and just just reach out directly to them. <laughs> that's that's an awesome direct approach. Where do you know where are the virtual watering holes of this information? Like how do people go on online to find out what's new in the world of stem cells? Is there like a, a subreddit? Uh, is there a Facebook group? You know, where do they find out, you know, some of this latest information? Um, so one place that's really cool, um, they, it's, it's, a, it's a site called Science Daily. And um, they, they take the, they'll, they'll take like the latest research publications that are coming out and they kind of, um, they'll, they'll kind of, find the ones that seem to be the most uh, impactful and they'll summarize what's happening in the paper. So they'll put it in, they'll digest it into the form of an, of an article that's, uh, uh, that's kind of in, in that, that kind of removes all the jargon around it so that, so that people can digest it. And then there's a, there's a link at the bottom to the actual research paper. So, um, you know, that's a great place to look. There's all kinds of stuff that's, that's posted on there. And then, uh, and then, and then with the link to the research paper, you can find out who's doing it and then you can, uh, um, actually find the people and, and find their contact information and reach out to them directly. That's awesome. Science daily. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know about that. I often <laughs> feel that, um, in the world of whether it's science or entrepreneurship or any of these things, the way to actually create value is you take some sort of uh, system, data sets, things like that, that, that are only available to the most esoteric or the most, you know, fringe people that is very difficult to do or, or learn or get or whatever. And then taking all that, that very hard to 
get data or use cases or processes or whatever, and then being able to provide that at an easier path, make less friction to be able to absorb the data, less friction to be able to Uber your car, less friction to be able to understand those large data sets of artificial intelligence, that inflection point is actually the moment of value creation because you have removed the layer of friction where people want that information, but it is too difficult or too confusing to absorb. And so that that daily um, science is makes a lot of sense for I would I would love to learn about interesting science facts, but I'm blown away by the vernacular and all the sciencey garbly gook that is hard to process. That's super cool. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great site. <laughs> uh, in terms of your own personal um, development of anti-aging, I mean, are there things that you have discovered or uh, whether they're uh, pill forms or daily rituals or things you do to try to extend your own life or things that are on the roadmap for you to extend your own life? Um, so, yes. <laughs> yeah, I think one of the things that, that I um, do not, like this is kind of something that, that's been um, a habit of mine that, uh, uh, that, I've, that I've done just kind of, uh, well, I'll just, I'll just go out and say it is caloric restriction. Um, I, I, I kind of do it just because I end up focused on something and then I forget to eat. And so, so then my calorie intake ends up being kind of low a lot. And, um, and I wonder, you know, I think that may have come out of, um, like I used to wrestle in high school and so I was uh, not eating uh, a lot and I would uh, often be trying to cut weight. And, and so then I think my body learned that, Hey, you know, hunger is okay. It's not that bad. And, and so sometimes when I get the signals of, Hey, you're hungry, um, but I'm focused on something. I, I keep, I keep going on what I'm doing. Um, so I think in that one, that's one of the things, um, uh, exercise is something that's, that I think is uh, is a great thing for longevity, and um, and so things like along the lines of cardio, and um, and then and then I have um, smoothies uh, with 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 uh, like uh, chia seed, and and I've done some that that with resveratrol and, um, and then a protein powder and something that has a lot of those powdered greens and phytonutrients. So it's not something that's, uh, isolating these molecules or vitamin molecules or things like that, because, um, you know, the, the, I think there's support that shows that the nutrients that are inside of, let's say an apple, um, they, they compound the effects of the vitamins, and so and they're they're actually you know, safer than taking mega vitamins or something like that. Um, so uh, adding that kind of stuff into the mix, um, flax seeds, um, those those kinds of things uh, are what I can think of off the top of my head. Great. Yeah. So yeah, it's diet, nutrition, um, uh, fitness, exercise cardio and then what you're talking about is like kind of the whole food uh smoothies that kind of give you the not only just the isolated compound of the nutrient or the vitamin but something that actually has a synergistic relationship with the entirety of the actual um uh you know fiber and all the other elements that make up um that whole food like item yeah and and something else that I want to add that that I think is super important is uh, is also in the spiritual development, um, being able to um, kind of maintain my center, but also to be really in touch with this. Like I, like I'm a, I'm I'm a, I just I would describe myself as a very happy person. Like I I feel very grateful for everything around me, and I and super excited about things that are happening and I, I I I would say that I'm full of joy and um and then you know being able to um be in touch with that that kind of core inside of me um really uh, uh I think insulates me from the effects of stress uh I think it's something that can take my stress levels down very quickly um and keep them at a at a very low 
at a pretty low level, I'd say. Um, but I think that that component of joy is also something that that uh, and and we'll see. But I I think that's something that's really going to extend my life. <laughs> <laughs> well. <laughs> I'll say that I've known you for a while now, and I would I would completely agree with that assessment on you in terms of the uh, feeling of joy. And overall, you've always been just a happy, smiley, you know, you know, <laughs> world's bright and shiny, which is beautiful and wonderful to be around too. Have is that something that was just a natural disposition that you've had, um, or have you been able to cultivate that through spirituality? And what does that cultivation look like if you do? Uh, so I think it's something that I cultivated, um, and now it's become something that's, uh, you know, it's like something that's, that's, that's more, um, natural for me. But, I, I, so I, I think, you know, uh, when I was growing up, um, you know, I had, I, I, I went through the, the teenage angst of feeling alone and, you know, by myself and, and having unrequited love and, and the pain of that. <laughs> and, um, uh, and, uh, it, it just, I, I shifted my focus into, um, just always trying to learn. And, um, and then it, I think eventually it, uh, it, it became a choice and the, and in the way that, that I framed things. And, um, and I think I started to develop, a uh, a very long view of things that, that might look like, um, terrible events to someone who's looking in like a, say, a one month time window or a one year time window. But, you know, I, I look back on certain events in my life and, and as they opened up into like the five year window or the 10 year window, um, they turned out things that seemed terrible in, in five years weren't really that terrible. And then I could see, you know, what, what I learned from it and how it changed me and, and how, how I how I'm better from it. And, and so then when something happens in that, in that, when something immediate would happen, um, then in that one week window, it seems terrible, but having that experience of all these other things, I can extrapolate that to that five-year window or that 10-year window and, and to know that, Hey, it's maybe terrible now or feels terrible now, but I know, that in five years or in 10 years that this is something that's going to be great for me. And, um, and so then I can look at that and be like, and get that shift. Um, and so, you know, the spiritual work, um, being around, um, like I, I do these micro meditations in throughout the day. And, uh, whenever I feel myself off center, I can stop myself and just really um, center myself. And what the centering is inside of my heart. So then I get in touch with that, the, that feeling, those feelings of just the, the loving and the joy and, and to bring that forward. And it, it just kind of, I can feel it. It, it, it. To me, it feels like putting on a cloak. Um, like I feel it come on to me like a cloak, like, um, you know, like, uh, uh, I don't know if you've seen that movie Spawn, <laughs> yeah. but, but it, I feel it come up and it, it creeps over me like that kind of like, and, but in, in a, in a good way, cause it's my heart coming forward and spreading forward and, and really, um, embracing me, embracing myself and, and the, that, and it's a physical feeling that I feel like it just, like I'm being wrapped in it. And so, and I can do that and it takes me about 10 seconds. And so, um, and I just stop myself, close my eyes, take a couple of deep breaths and just envision that centering inside myself and then calling that forward. And it, it just, it wraps over me and, um, and then I, I feel better. <laughs> Is that something that when you visualize that, I'd love to mm -hmm. just do a little detailed walkthrough of that. Of So if you close your eyes, are you envisioning, okay, like, okay, the trigger. I'm feeling off kilter, whatever, you know, sad, mad, you know, whatever you want to enter in, right? So then you stop, close your eyes and go, 
put a pause, take a deep breath. Are you envisioning the cloak coming from your heart and then wrapping around you as an as an energy source? Or is it when you say it's creeping up, where is it creeping from? And and it sounds like it's like a your heart cloak or something that would wrap around <laughs> you. I'd, I'd love to dive into that a little bit more and explore it. Yeah, it's um, so uh, when I close my eyes and um, what I what I say to myself is um, centering myself within myself. So center center yourself within yourself or within your heart. And so what what I feel is like um, literally my heart, and I feel my uh, consciousness. Um, it's it's pulled or. Yeah, it it feels like it's pulled into that center, into that core, like right in the middle of my heart. And um, and then and then I feel the loving that's in there and I feel it um, start to, um, I think, kind of exude or rush, rush out. And it's, um, you know, that that concept of spirit, but it's me. It's, it's a part of me that's coming out and it's just like, it's just like when, when a loved one comes up and, and they put their arms around you from behind. Um, and so it's, it's kind of like I'm doing that to myself, but it, it's my heart that's coming out and kind of wrapping itself around me in that way, like an embrace. So it's almost like when you say, so let me see if I'm getting this right. You have a moment off kilter for whatever reason close your eyes and then you say um uh, get centered within myself and then Mm -hmm. your consciousness your you visualize your consciousness whatever that might be the your avatar your aura your essence shrink down from its outside area inside this safe place of your heart and inside the safe place of your heart it almost feels like homo home or family it feels like someone is wrapping you are wrapping arms around you like in a warm safe place so that you reconnect your spirit with your heart is that correct yeah it's it's an invocation of my heart and everything that that my heart embodies my um, you know the the strength of heart, the courage, the loving, the everything, the essence Wait, of me. Are you yeah. when you're doing that? I mean, are there cookie jar moments, moments in which you're thinking about the time that a loved one loved you, or your mother ran up and kissed you, that you were playing with your favorite dog? Are there are there actual tangible moments that you are pulling from as a source of energy, or are you just managing heart connection, heart connection, heart connection in the feeling? Um, so where I am right now, when I do that, I, I'm, I just feel the, I feel the heart connection. Um, but there were things that I did that got me to that point. Um, and it's, it's a, and it's, it's, um, it's such a beautiful place because it's a place of, of acceptance and no judgments. And so there are no judgments of myself. And it's a complete acceptance and loving of myself. And, you know, one of the things that, that helped me get to that place, um, uh, there's, a, there's a, a school called the University of Santa Monica, and they have a program in soul-centered living. And um, one of the things that uh, uh, a visualization that we did there was um, regressing into uh, early memories. And one of the things that, that got me to that place um, of the total acceptance and the really unconditional loving of myself um, and seeing the perfection of myself, regardless of anything else, was uh, going back to a memory that, that I saw when I was in my crib. Um, I was, I don't know how old, I was very newly born, but uh, what I saw what I saw both of my parents, they were looking at me and the, uh, it's, it's still, this, it still brings up a lot of emotion. Um, but they were looking at me and the expression in their eyes was of just pure love. I mean, they looked at me and they saw me, they saw all my potential. They had all, 
And there was the way that I could see in their eyes in that moment, there was nothing, nothing that I could ever do that would be wrong or make them stop loving me. And in that reflection, um, you know, the realization of that, that kind of, that kind of unconditional loving was available to me and to turn that onto myself and be able to hold that for myself. Um, that was one of the keys to getting me to that place. Wow. So there's a cornerstone memory, a beautiful, thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah. being able to find a memory like that, that you can anchor yourself onto and, and have as a, almost like an endless well of love and self-acceptance and non-judgment and, and a knowingness, like not just, you know, when people say, oh, you know, don't judge yourself or, oh, don't do that. You know, it's one thing to cognitively understand that. It's another thing to embody that in your very essence, in, in your in your heart and in, in, in your body to, to, to feel that energy and then be able to, um, um, like, exude that. A, a lot of times in life, my belief is that uh, people consume the emotions that they desire. Like, I want love, so I need to consume love. I want joy, so I need to go and consume those things. Um, versus the, the, the next level up to that is to not be a consumer of those actual emotions, but actually be a cultivator and a producer within your own body, within your own psyche, producing your own joy, producing your own love, producing your own um, connection with yourself. And it sounds like you've been able to kind of achieve that level um, on this path of spiritual growth. Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, it's, uh, it's a, um, it's, it's, it's an amazing feeling. Um, and it's just, um, you know, it's, there's, yeah, it's, it's very deep and, and I know there's, there's more. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Let me ask you this. Um, what would be the skill tree of development for something like this? Imagine somebody wanted to start out and they're at level zero. They they uh, they haven't found that memory. They haven't they haven't gone through the journey you have. What kind of roadmap or what would be the skill tree or how would they level up in this? Starting from zero to kind of getting, you know, you know where you are or beyond. Oh wow. Um, let's see. I mean, you know, I think there's you know that concept of all paths lead to Rome. Um, uh, I think, I think the, 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 the place to start is just to have the intention of, of, um, and, and it might not even be the, 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 the direct intention of, oh, I want to have complete acceptance and be able to, you know, have the, the loving and compassion inside of myself to forgive myself of all these judgments that I have of, or, or, to, to release all that stuff. Um, uh, I think, you know, my, my, uh, where I started was, was, it was like, okay, I feel like I'm getting in my own way. So I need to do something to get out of my own way. And, um, one of my first, one of my very early intentions on this was just, um, I want to be more in touch with my emotions. Like I had some, Sometimes, uh, uh, <laughs> sometimes my my fiance would kind of joke with me. This was this was many many years ago about me being a robot of like not reacting to anything or you know not having emotions, and and I thought, wow, that's that's a really interesting observation. Um, and and I feel felt like I was I was repressing a lot of emotions, and so um, I wanted to. Uh, or yeah, I wanted to um, allow myself to have those feelings, like you know, like uh, um, um, even just like 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 shedding tears, having tears come out during uh, a tearjerker movie. Like I wouldn't let myself do that, and um, and so you know, and it was because of shame or embarrassment or like you know I didn't I didn't want to cry and and. Um, 
And so just my, one of my early intentions was like, oh, I, I want to be able to do that and not feel shame or, or embarrassment around it. Because like, like sometimes I would cry from movies when I was by myself, but then if I was with somebody else, then I'd be like holding that stuff in and, um, and, and just wanting to be okay with that. And, um, uh, and, and so it was, and, and one of the fears that I had early on was like, Oh, Oh my gosh, you know, I've, I've cultivated all of this stuff to be able to maintain my joy. And what if I, let it go and I'm not happy anymore. That was the fear that I had. And, um, and what I found is that I'm even happier now to have that freedom to be able to do that. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So start out first recognizing being a first where, okay, Hey, well, first there's an external observation that someone said, Hey, are you, did you recognize this? And then you recognize that I go, Oh, Oh, this is a thing. Right. And then the first step wasn't to, you know, go from A to Z, but the first step was to, okay, recognizing that there was a thing and then being able to say, okay, I'm just going to just be in touch with my feelings, not really try to control them or put them in any direction, but recognize not only am I getting in touch with my feelings, but also recognizing how I feel about my feelings, right? The feelings of like, if I, if, you know, for men, right, we get the, if I cry in front of movie theaters, people are going to judge me for being weak or sad or whatever the thing might be. And so I'm not going to allow myself to cry but then by getting in touch with those feelings and addressing the feelings of the feelings you could then get past that to where then you could start to then cultivate the feelings you wanted to have is that where the micro meditation started to come into place um so that was the micro meditations actually came much later uh, so it was uh, again that 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 program that i did at the the university of santa monica there was people who had they they've traveled that path already and um, had experience with that. So I went and found help. <laughs> and one of the my fiance had done those those programs as well. And and uh, and knowing some of the people from that community and hearing some of the the tales of transformation, I was like, okay, uh, I, you know, I I really need to check this out. And um, and then there's there's processes that are that are repeatable that that. Um, that basically uh, for that I learned there and that I can repeat. And so um, in doing those processes, you know, something that started to work for me uh, was those micro meditations. And so then, you know, it's, it's a lot of experimenting. You're, 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 you know, I, in that program, um, there's a lot of science. You the, using the scientific method, I would say, I should say, um, it's, it's trying something, seeing if it worked. And then if it didn't, you know, what, what could I change? Uh, and, and so one of the things I thought, Oh, I'll try this, these micro meditations. And, um, and, and that worked for me. So, um, that, that's something that's, that I have found to work really well for me. <laughs> Wow, that's great. How many micro meditations do you do a day? Or can you give me a range of like low to high on, you know, daily micro meditations? Um, so it, it varies depending on on things that are happening. Um, but there have been days when maybe I've done twenty or thirty, um, just recognizing my internal state. And some days, just like maybe. Um, you know, maybe one to two or, uh, so it, it varies. Uh, like, like, um, uh, as I was, as I was parking my car this morning and, uh, getting ready to come on this podcast, I did one, I was like, just kind of centered myself and then just, uh, and then just had the intention to just bring the, the highest things forward. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's beautiful. John, thank you for uh, sharing that. That was um, that was meaningful, man. That 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 is something that actually I'll I'll take and I'll try to to incorporate and in, in practice. Never thought about because a lot of times I think that you don't have enough time to meditate, but that you know little micro meditation, especially the, there's a, there's a lot of nuance in it. That's very very powerful of 
of retreating to a place, having a core memory, wrapping it around you, feeling it deeply, connecting with it, and then, and then having it surround, surround you. Um, it, it's very powerful. So I, I thank you so much for sharing. Um, yeah. If, if people want to get a hold of you, I mean, how do they find you? How do they reach out to you? Um, I guess uh, they, can, uh, they can email me directly. <laughs> At uh, and and uh, I'll, I'll give out my um, personal email address. It's uh, John W T at gmail dot com. J O H N W C H I at gmail. And uh, and then uh, if you want to see what we're doing at Sonova, uh, you can check out our website. It's sonovalife dot com. S Y N O V A L I F E dot com. And um, I think those are probably the the two best ways to uh, find out about Sonova or get in touch with me. <laughs> Beautiful, John. Uh, thank you for your time, and I really appreciate you coming on today. Yeah, thanks, Dylan. It it's been it was been really great talking with you. Yeah. Absolutely, we we gotta do this again for sure. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Really talk yeah. To you soon. All right. Bye. All right. Thanks, Dylan. Bye. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you have any comments, suggestions, or feedback on how to improve the podcast, I would cherish that. Please give me an email or shout out at Dylan at heroesofreality.com. That's D-Y-L-A-N at heroesofreality.com. Stay strong, young adventures. Until next time.